Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes. Today we're continuing our walk through the book of Luke, and we are going to finish chapter 2 today. And so we're picking up in verse 39 just where we left off. The Bible says this, So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him out amongst their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And so today we're going to look at the childhood of Christ. Now the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the childhood of Christ. Um, but we're going to go with what we have and paint a picture from that. I often see bumper stickers that read something to the effect of terrific kid on board. And they will say the name of the school that the child apparently is excelling in academically. Or I'll see a bumper sticker that speaks of the child's athletic accomplishments. In Mary and Joseph's day, cars and bumper stickers were not found. But I wonder if on the back of their donkey cart they didn't have a sticker that said God on board or raising the Savior of the world, honk if you love Yahweh. Probably not. But speaking of such, we do not know much about the childhood of Christ. The Bible does not speak on these matters. Yet all sorts of legends abound. One even says that during his childhood, before his public ministry, he walked across what was to become the British Empire, and this supposedly was some affirmation of the eventual Church of England. I highly doubt it. Uh, what we do know about the childhood of Christ comes to us in our passage this morning. It's important to remember that Jesus was as much man as he was God. The late Dr. H.H. H. Hobbes notes in his expositional commentary on the book of Luke that it is just as great an error to deny Jesus' humanity as to deny his deity. He was both God and man, yea, the God-man. So in consideration of this, let's look to what Scripture tells us of the childhood of Christ. And as I read to you in verses 39 through 40, we found that after completing the necessary Jewish rituals according to the Mosaic law, the family returns to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. So often Galilee is pictured as a completely different country than that of Judea. History tells us that the people of Galilee were the roughnecks, if you will, of that day. They did not follow the Old Testament Judaism of their father, fathers as closely as those of Judea, they were considered unrefined, illiterate, and to use a colloquial term, the rednecks by the people of Judea. Interestingly, though, Jesus' ministry was far more successful in Galilee, Galilee than Judea. 
It was among the common man that Jesus found the most tolerance. Has anything really changed in our day? The elites of this world are steeped in secular humanism and dead religious formalism that they often look at Bible believers as ignorant commoners or superstitious uh, people. It's also of consequence to note that it appears 11 of the disciples were from Galilee and only Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, was from Judea. At any rate, Galilee was the home region of the Savior in his childhood. As far as his age is concerned in this point, we cannot really be sure. Luke uses the term paidon, here translated child, and that normally speaks of a child that is older than one but younger than twelve. For at twelve, the child would be considered for his bar mitzvah. He would be a child of the law. In fact, at this point, he was even considered a man. Luke tells us of his childhood that he grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, the grammar of the Greek behind this insinuates that this was a constant development, not just overnight, boom, filled with the spirit and strong in grace and wisdom. Undoubtedly, due to the instruction of Mary and Joseph, they taught him as any parent would teach a child in that day. They taught him to walk, to talk, to read. They instructed him in the scripture and prayer. They took him to synagogue devotedly. And so far as that goes, his childhood was human. But it was superhuman in that his growth and development spiritually was not impeded by sin or a sin nature. He not only did well in these things, he excelled far beyond the capability of a normal child. And so far as this, his childhood was human, but not only human, superhuman and divine. Now, by quick point of application, parents, let me pose to you a question. If Mary and Joseph taught Jesus the things of God, how much more should we teach our children who do have a sin nature as opposed to Jesus who did not have a sin nature? If Jesus was taken to synagogue religiously, how much more should our children be carried to church? How are you doing with family worship? Do you read the scriptures to your children? Do you ask them questions? Do you pray with them and for them? I think it would be foolish to assume that all we need to do is carry our children to church sporadically, and a lot of people don't even do that anymore, when Jesus himself received religious training at home. You may think your child well and good, but I assure you, he or she is not better than Jesus. If you're interested in an excellent source, I would consider looking up the children's catechism, or as I call it, the children's discipleship question, and picking some questions from that that you can ask your question and teaches them the Bible. But as we're moving on, we come to see Christ the child. Christ the child. We find that some years have passed between verses 40 and 41, and a general statement is made. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Now, synagogue was every Saturday for the Jew, but the big service, the celebration of the Jews' exodus from Egypt, was held once a year in Jerusalem at the temple. There were many synagogues, but one temple. During this time of year, thousands of devout Jews would gather to observe this commemoration in the holy city of Jerusalem. One particular year, we find Christ the young man, as I told you, 12, was considered bar mitzvah. He was becoming a man, a man of the law in the eyes of Jewish custom. And it was this year that they traveled to the temple, and we find a most interesting story about Christ the child. And not only Christ the child, but let's note the confused parents of Christ. 
In verse 43, it says, When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now these Passover trips were made not only with the immediate family, but with the extended family, neighbors, and large groups. They literally traveled in a caravan. Now there's several reasons for that. First of all, they were all uh, of the same religion and headed to the same place. And second of all, um, the, these roads were dangerous. It's not like they had a highway patrol going up and down them and making sure everybody was being safe. The roads were treacherous for families, often because of robbers and wild animals. You have to keep in mind, this is the ancient world. This isn't modern-day America, okay? This is the ancient world in the Middle East. Wild animals are a very real threat back then, or were a very real threat back then. Robbers and highway thieves were a very real threat back then. So they traveled in large groups, which would explain how Jesus could leave his parents' uh, watch so easily. Now, often the women would travel up front and the men would travel in the rear so that they could keep an eye on the women for their sake of safety and so that they could watch. Now, the journey was wrought with danger and so... One could easily suppose, though, with the men and women being separated, that the mother might think, well, he must be with his dad, and the dad might think, well, he must be with his mother. And so this makes it uh, understandable how the parents could be confused as they have lost Jesus. Now, you thought you were a bad parent, but have you ever lost God? And so, uh, so we come now not only to the confused parents of Christ, but I want you to note also in verses 46 through 50 that I read a moment ago, the concern of Christ the child. What was it that Christ the child was concerned with? Now, I've got two children. I can tell you what they're concerned with. Watching cartoons, playing outside with the dogs and the chickens, jumping on the trampoline, drawing, making a mess eating candy. These are the normal concerns of a child. But yet in verses 46 through 50, we find that Christ the child was concerned with the things of God. We don't find him playing hopscotch or tic-tac-toe. We don't find him playing tag with his friends. Oh no. We find him in the temple, not only listening and learning intently, but asking questions that amaze the teachers of the temple because a child, much less most adults, would not have the grasp of Scripture that this child had. And greater than that, I believe he was asking questions that they themselves had never considered. And so we see the concern of Christ that he was concerned about the things of God. Now, we can but imagine these gray-beard, wrinkle-faced scholars who have spent a lifetime studying the Torah, immersing themselves in the prophets and singing the Psalms, and yet at 12 years old, here stands a young man with eyes wide open, soaking up every drop and asking questions. It's safe to say this child was not like any other child anyone had ever seen. Never had a young man a grasp of the law as he had. And so we see this continued. And so we see this young man, Christ, was concerned with the things of God. 
By short application, let me ask you a question. Should not the concern of Christ be the concern of the church? If Christ desired to learn and to feed and to soak in the glory of Scripture, how much more so should we yearn for the things of God? It's a great concern to me when somebody claims to be a Christian and not only has zero desire for true verse-by-verse -verse expositional Bible study, but will even have the audacity to admit they don't even read their Bibles. Friend, if you have no desire for the Father's business, then He is not your Father. You have deceived yourself, for the same Spirit that rested upon the Christ child lives inside of every true believer who is truly part of the church. He, learned, he yearned to please the Father, and he desires to know of the Father, and I'm telling you on authority of God's Word, if that's not present in your heart, then God is not your Father. Then we come on down to verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. Luke leaves us with little information regarding the rest of Christ's adolescence. Undoubtedly, like the other evangelists, he saw it inconsequential to the earthly ministry of Christ. We find two verses that summarize the remaining years of Jesus in his adolescence. And so, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So we see the continued growth of Christ. We find a Savior submitted to his parents. He obeyed them that day, went home with them, and remained under their parental authority, which we know continued until his first public miracle when he turned the water into wine, and then he lovingly corrected his mother uh, that his public ministry had begun and that he was basically not under her authority anymore. We need not think of Jesus as being subject to his earthly parents in the sense that he disobeyed and was punished because we know that he never broke the law, never sinned. Rather that as with keeping the law, he obeyed as a child and was submitted to his parents. So once again, he was like any other child in that he was to obey his parents, but he was unlike any other child in that he always obeyed his parents. Not only did the Savior submit to his parents, but the Savior grew in stature and wisdom. Now, I have no un under problem understanding that a human body, he grew in a human body. He got taller. His hair got longer. He grew facial hair, etc. Yet the most mysterious part to me is that he grew in wisdom. How can that be? When his divinity already knew everything, but his humanity learned like any other child. How that fits together, I, I have no clue. But he grew and he learned and I believe became unequivocally aware of who he was and what he was and what he was to do. Although Mary and Joseph, even with the instruction from Gabriel, did not see the whole picture yet. In conclusion, apart from simply gaining information about Christ, which is of course of value in and of itself, what lessons can be learned from the childhood of Christ? Well, first of all, I believe what we, have, what, we, what we have here is what I call the pattern of godly parenting. Mary and Joseph raised Jesus according to the Scripture in the synagogue, teaching him the Word of God at home as well. We must ask again, if Jesus received religious instruction at home, how much more should our children receive it? The second lesson is this, that the concern of Christ should be the concern of Christians.
namely to be about the Father's business. Now, what does this entail? What all was Jesus concerned about when he said, I was about my Father's business? Well, if we look at this story, but then we look at the bigger picture of Jesus' entire time on earth, I would say that, first of all, he was concerned with service. He himself said that he came not to be served, but to serve. Uh, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. God did not save you to sit, but to serve. If you're not actively serving in some capacity at your local church, then you're not about the Father's business. Jesus washed feet, for goodness sake. So Jesus was concerned about service, and I believe that's in, uh, encompassed by this statement about my Father's business when you consider the entire life of Jesus on earth. Secondly, he was concerned with Scripture, not only service, but Scripture. And we find that specifically in our passage today. Jesus had a very high view of Scripture. He considered it to be authoritative. He considered it to be inerrant. He considered it to be God's means of communication to man. And this flies in the face of liberal theologians who have a low view, who deny inerrancy, who pick and choose the parts of the Bible that apply, and who claim the Old Testament doesn't, you know, is basically worthless, etc. Jesus quoted the Old Testament and believed it to be inerrant. In fact, when Jesus was tempted with Satan, he quoted Deuteronomy over and over and over as the Word of God. In fact, this has led some to say that Deuteronomy was Jesus' favorite book of the Old Testament. And so he was concerned with Scripture. He called it his father's business. If you're not actively studying your Bible, showing up to Sunday school or to church to learn more about Scripture, then you're not about the father's business. Finally, Jesus was concerned with salvation in his father's business. He himself said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you concerned about the salvation of sinners? Your father is. So as far as the lessons learned, we have the pattern for godly imparenting, but also we have the concerns of Christ that should be the concerns of Christians. Service, Scripture, salvation. If none of this concerns you, if you don't care about the Father's business, then hear me clearly, you're not Christian and God is not your Father. Because the Bible clearly teaches that when a person is converted to Christ, old things pass away, all things become new, new nature, and this encompasses new desires, a new disposition, and a new direction. And so we learn lessons, even from the childhood of Christ, which just goes to show how truly powerful the Scripture is. Keep studying the book of Luke, and God bless you.